Welcome to episode 61 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and uh, we're here on a Monday night. We're going to do our season previews next week but uh, tonight we're just going to talk about some of the things that we that may or may not happen uh, as the season goes on. But uh, joined once again by Darren Hill. How are you tonight, Darren? Good, good. Um, 61, I'm wondering, is that the over-under on hours left on Thibodeau's uh, <laughs> lifeline in Minnesota? Well, that was, yeah, that was certainly the first thing that we, we needed to talk about because the Jimmy Butler trade, we obviously talked about that uh, last uh, when we spoke on Thursday. Not a great deal of news specifically around Jimmy Butler uh, since then, but there has been a, bit, a few developments, I guess. So Carl Anthony Towns signed a $190 million five-year contract uh, to extend. So that, that the timing of that was curious. And then the owners come out and said that uh, don't worry about what Tibbs says. Jimmy Butler's up for trade, and uh, it's, we, we want it to happen sooner rather than later. Now, uh, and the other side of that is obviously Tibbs is not as not as keen uh, to do that. But there's also some sort of stories being leaked through some of the beat writers about some of the things that Jimmy Butler's been up to, and it's and they're sort of painting a picture that this is not a guy that uh, has a lot of friends left in the organisation for what that's worth. I mean, I'm not sure how you view this. The way I view it at the moment is that this looks like the owner just trying to force Thibodeau out of the organisation. And I think Thibodeau's sort of digging his heels in and saying, well, I think you you need to sack me and pay me out. And they're sort of like, well, no, you, you should walk. And maybe they'll come to some sort of mutual agreement, you'd think, um, within the, within the uh, near future. Because I just that, that's how it sort of seems to me. I mean, the outside looking in, do you sort of see the same dynamic there at play between ownership and Tibbs? It sort of seems like Tibbs is digging his heels in at the moment saying, no, you're going to have to fire me. And they're sort of saying, well, we're just going to make it same miserable you're going to have to leave. Yeah, I'm. That certainly seems the direction it's heading. I'm not. I'm not sure it was that clear or strategic. To be honest, though, what it seems like has happened is that after after this meeting occurred, where Butler um, formally sort of announced his intentions or his desire to to get out of there, that probably just sort of brought to light or reaffirmed all the building frustrations, as you said, is probably burnt some bridges and doesn't have any friends left in the organization. The the curious part was um, Scott Layden, right, who's the GM. So Tibbs is kind of Scott Layden's boss and his direct report, if that makes sense. So he's the president and head coach, but Layden's his GM, right? Basically, he had been under instructions from Tibbs to right knock back all trade offers because Tibbs, right, as we all thought, or I certainly thought, is joined at the hip as he goes, Butler goes. Like there's no scenario where one of them stays or one of them goes. I've always thought they're probably joined together. And then I thought saw this trade, you know, trade sort of announcement come out, and I thought, oh God, is there is there a model here where Tibbs survives? But it's it seems to be pretty clear now when Scott Layden, under Tibbs' instructions, is knocking back and refusing to take trade offers. And then Glenn Taylor gets word of this and says, no, if you're not getting him from if you don't like the offers you're asking of, of Layden, call me directly. <laughs> I mean, the ultimate undercutting. And so I think that just in one fell swoop, one, you know, one line tweet or one line sort of, uh, you know, uh, comment that, that obviously got made public by Glenn Taylor, that pretty much tells you that um, he and Tibbs are, are literally not only not on the same page, they're probably in opposite, opposite camps. 
Now, that being said, I'd have to look up to see what's left on Tibbs' contract. Um, I think we could have ourselves here. Well, my, Perhaps, my memory is a four-year deal. so I, I That's what I thought. He's so got two, two left, years then, left, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so his position's has, untenable now, sure. I mean, oh, if, for sure. If, with the owner doing that, the, the, his position's untenable. It, it has to mean if you're in both cases, right? Now, Tibbs has been basically undercut by the owner, and the owner is sort of probably fed up. If I'm if I'm Glenn Taylor, I'm sort of looking at this as well, going, saying, look, you know what? We put all of my all of our eggs in the Tibbs basket. Um, made this amazing trade for Butler by every metric. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't go back and find a pundit. Um, who thought this was a, you know, was a was a bad deal for Minnesota, or someone who thought they overpaid? I'd have to. Uh, do you remember anyone saying that this was either a fair deal or an overpay by Minnesota? I would. No, I think as as Mark and then played pretty well in his rookie year. I think most people thought, well, look, the Bulls probably did better than we originally thought, but I don't think anyone was ever saying the Bulls got the better of that deal. And I still well, I think don't the, think you can the, say the conventional that. wisdom was why on earth did they have to also give up the number sixteen pick, right? Like, so the yeah. pick swap was sort of like the holy crap. Shouldn't there have been another pick coming the other direction, right? Mm. So, again, I think with that context, that Minnesota, I still think, got a windfall in this trade, and not mistaking draft analysis, right? The fact they drafted Justin Patton, right, um, one slot ahead of T.J. Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right. Drafting badly is not. Well, Patton as... was redshirted too. To be fair, so let's let's. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to draw a line through a DJ, not quite as as quickly to to go through a Patton. Yeah, so it it looks like there's um, Taylor just wants a swift resolution, right? It's I perhaps thought because of the Butler and Tibbs being joined at the hip potentially that this could drag on a while. Um, and even into the season, a la almost an Eric Bledsoe timing sort of deal, right? Um, but now it looks like Taylor just wants this bloody over with. So um, the market will bear it out. Uh, I don't want to – I mean, we probably speculated. I don't think there's much to add about speculation. Of course, lots of teams are calling and kicking tires. I would, I would bet 10 to 15 teams have called and probably started gone fishing and testing out what sort of you know players are looking for. So – you get the sense that's going to happen. And we just have this sort of rinse and repeat, you know, pre-agency conversation like we were having with, you know, with Kawhi not, you know, a few months ago. And to a lesser extent, Paul George last year, just, you know, what's the value of a, you know, um, of an all-star player with a year left on their contract and their desire to sign long-term might be tied to, you know, is variable. It's right. Their desire to sign something long-term is up in the air. Unless it's to certain teams, so. Well, I have so heard just... that your Milwaukee Bucks have put in a call and said, uh, "Whatever the offer is, before you say yes, call us first. Yeah, I've heard that. I've read that as well. But I imagine that's probably not the only team who's who said that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, look, obviously Jimmy Butler, you know, went to school in Milwaukee, so he's familiar and sort of knows the area. So that's not a not exactly a homecoming, nor exactly the him being the alpha there, but the the logic would dictate. I mean, you got two similar type competitors there with Giannis and Jimmy, so that's that's about as deep as I'm going to go with validating that as a 
as a, as a theory. Well, I think it's the Eastern un- Conference is going mm-hmm. to be more attractive to him as well uh, from the point of view as this is a guy that wants to be the alpha dog and, and, and views himself as, a, as one of the top players in well, the league. Well, that's a, that's a really good point. That's probably where I've, I've come just in my openness where I sort of the first 24 hours thought, as we said last time, that the Clippers just made so much sense. Market size could be alpha. Lots of lots of parts on that roster that could fit with Minnesota. But I'm tending to start to sway where what you've just said is maybe maybe Jimmy, Jimmy wants to make a bigger mark because he wants to win. That's I guess at least all the all the language and rhetoric here, um, and 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 his persona, right? Just an absolute dogged, um, unapologetic competitor, and he's too tough on his teammates. And if he wants to win, as you just pointed out, it's probably easier to do in Charlotte or Milwaukee than it will be in, you know, it will be in the, in the Clippers uniform. But, mm. but we'll see how that plays out. I, I think it's, it certainly seems that Tibbs is probably going to be gone. I think you and I touched on it last time. I don't, I don't imagine there's a scenario here. Um, I guess everything's possible. If, you know, faced with a gigantic buyout that Taylor, you know, um, that the Wolves make a trade, get some parts back for Jimmy um, they have some sort of reparation and they don't want to throw everything out uh, again really hard to make a coaching change if this late you know um, this close to the season it's not an easy thing to do so almost the the the, the logic that the bucks went through last year was that God we really wanted to make a change with Jason Kidd but our GM came on so late we just said oh it's just a bit too late in the offseason to make a change and that obviously bit them in the butt, but it's hard. It would be hard to make a coaching change in right in the first. Well, Minnesota have done it because, of course, Flip Saunders died or passed away very early in the season when that happened, yeah. and they had yeah. to go with the, the Sam Mitchell, which didn't didn't go well and sort of hurt hurt the entire no. franchise. So they've been through that. Obviously, this is going to be a different situation, but they've been through that recently where you've had to make that change early in the season. And imagine and how almost, hard of a a coaching job. This is a pretty hard job. So imagine, imagine it's October the 1st. And instead of Jimmy Butler, let's just play this up. Just, just make it up. Right. You've got Avery Bradley, Tobias Harris, you know, um, Jeff Teague, Andrew Wiggins, and Carl Anthony Towns, right? There's your starting five. And these guys never played together. That is a bloody hard job. When you get a bunch of new players and new pieces, a new staff, um, two newly minted max players, who we have no idea, you know, well, it's how they're going to perform. Now, isn't it? Like, it's their team all now. It's their team now. Yeah, they're all in on the, you know, the PS4 crowd. <laughs> um, so that's a that's a bloody hard ask, right? So it almost lends itself to an interim coach, right? It almost lends itself to it, which is basically a write-off season. So I just don't see that. That's very unappealing. So, and again, I don't know Tibbs's um, his coaching staff well enough to go. Is there a an assistant on that staff who could be a, you know, a, a, a little bit safer. I would hope a, a, a more, <laughs> a more skillful Joe Prunty, so to speak, on that team, or a more skillful Sam Mitchell to take it forward. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, what think, about the I towns? Think, I mean, turn to the towns uh, situation because I think towns gets a like Wiggins cops all the criticism. And Towns doesn't seem to cop as much, and I think they're equally culpable in terms of the attitude that they bring to the court. Well, the timing is, this isn't, it's not difficult to conclude, and I think we'll start to see it emerge that this was him or me sort of stuff going on, right? I think there's no doubt that the 
whether formal, informal, subtle, coming from their camp or an agent or, you know, conversations that Kat's having up the line in the organization. I think Kat realized his leverage was significant, right, compared to Jimmy's Jimmy's leverage. And if they didn't get along, it'd be easy to see where this is going to land. If if Kat wants to get paid, he wanted to get paid, and his conditions were, I'm not going to sign that extension unless Jimmy's gone. So Jimmy's like, fuck this. It's my impression. He said, fuck this. Get me out of here. Trade me. I'm not going to sign myself up long-term to be with these these children who don't take the game seriously called for his, you know, obviously the trade demands and what, two days later, three days later, cat signs the extension. That's not circumstantial at all. That is absolutely a quid pro quo, pretty clear one. If you yeah, ask this me, this is them backing if the Carl Anthony towns in the power play against Butler. And I guess remains to be seen whether Butler and Tibbs are yeah. a package deal or not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I go. So part of me, it just a part of me says, look, Tibbs is the boss, so he has to own this. He, he will ultimately be his head on the spike here who couldn't make this very, very talented team, couldn't even keep it together, let alone gel it and create, you know, create something where the hole is greater than the sum of the parts with these, you know, pretty talented players. Um, so it'll be on him, but one we will probably start to wonder if this turns into a, you know, perennial 36-win, you know, team, with your two, you know, two players earning seventy million dollars combined in Cat and Wiggins, so if this is your a middling, you know, five hundred team or worse, you know, we might, through the benefit of time, see perhaps that maybe maybe Tibbs was a hard done by. Maybe he, you know, took a job and just couldn't reach these kids, couldn't couldn't figure out a way to to get him to to play differently or play better or contribute on defense or you know take lessons from the you know, from the likes of Jimmy and Taj, et cetera. And we, we will, I think we'll see that play out. We won't see that now. It'll take us a year or two to see if that's the case. But um, that seems to certainly clear that Cats won the power play here is what it looks like with this extension. I've got the coach for this team, Des. I've got the coach for this team. Is this a... No, this is uh, it's Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, and it's actually not a bad idea. Assistant coach, Stephen Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be something? I thought, wouldn't that be something? I just need a, I just need a, a ball now. Just trade, trade Lonzo for Teague and Gorgie, and you got yourself a, you got yourself a cocktail of. But I think honestly, I think the Stackhouse idea. Oh, I actually thought, I liked your Stackhouse idea until you, until you backed him up with Stephen Jackson. I'm cut from the old law. <laughs> that is the fucking greatest meme tweet quote I've ever seen but um go uh, no go t- talk about Stackhouse yeah, so Stackhouse obviously won, uh, had the G League um, to, or still has the G League team in Toronto but that that guy and, and that's where the idea came from like seeing the back and forth if, if listeners didn't see it, the back and forth you gotta check it out between Stephen Jackson and Andrew Wiggins but they, they need a player I guess who's Cut from the old law, dare I say, but you know, a guy that's that's got that that <laughs> hunger in him and can sort of bring that bring that to the table, but is still young enough, I guess, to try and understand these young guys and understand where they're coming from um, from that point of view. So I, I think he'd be an interesting personality to bring into that organisation and just have a culture reset. And we thought that's what would happen with, with Tibbs, and it hasn't happened, but maybe it's just a different personality that's going to get through to those guys. 
Because I still yeah, think there's think something to be said, Daz, for the hard-nosed like approach. It's a good question. I think uh, it, it's a fair question. Part of me also says, though, but do you, I don't know if it's Stackhouse or not. When you look at someone like Carl Anthony Towns, right, when you just you put up the raw numbers and the efficiency numbers, and they are freakish. And I know um, both um, the open floor and – uh, Sam Vecini um, from Game Theory Podcast, just when you actually stop and pause to contemplate, you know, him 21 points, 12 rebounds on 42% raw shooting from three, true shooting percentage of over 60%, right? Carl Anthony Townsend, to be that skilled at this age on the offensive end, he is absolutely absent on defense. But, you know, in such a way that we, you know, Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic has, you know, an offense that's being crafted around him. That's what I think Minnesota is going to need now is Wiggins clearly isn't someone to have the offense run through him. He's proven that. So it's you, you want a creative, almost offensive, not mastermind, but an, an offensive guru who can conceive of the theory of basketball being played through a you know, seven footer who can score and shoot and inside out the way cat can. Cause it is, it is remarkable. Right. So um, that's, I don't know what sort of coach that might be who's out there, but it's that, you know, almost the next Dan Tony, right. Or, you know, or the way even Stotts has gotten that, um, that organization, the offense completely run around, you know, the two backcourt guys. So, so efficiently, it's just, you want someone who can just build it around the cat. Well, that's the question, um, I guess. That do they need the killer instinct, or is the is the change that they need to make basketball a bit more fun for them, and and have them enjoying themselves a bit more on the court? And that's how you're going to get the best out of them. That it, it, it's a cultural well, question, I think, for the Wolves to, to take here. Yeah, I think the theory of you know taking this clay and the, this, this molded these raw products, right, and in, in, in Wiggins and Cat, and saying you know look, let's get the Let's get the military, you know, drill sergeant to try and whip into shape. That clearly has failed by every measure, every defensive metric. And now as a team starts to fracture and fall apart, that approach doesn't work. So let's pick it from the, the Brad Stevens, who's created a college atmosphere in his team, or the, the Steve Kerr, who's created the, you know, very, very much the how do you put players in positions to be their best versions of themselves, or the Mike Budenholzer, who is so right into Hawks University, right, which is all about maximize individual player development and, you know, worry about, almost worry about X's and O's secondarily as you try to, as your coaching staff, um, coaching staff and staff members try to work out the best, you know, the best versions of the individual selves. That's my feeling is that they just need a developmental type culture where, whether it's fun or not, it's let Cat be the best possible version of Carl Anthony Towns. And I, I kind of, part of me says, has Wiggins been given that fair, has Wiggins, has Wiggins been given that chance? And I think most of us would say he's had plenty of chances to be that. And maybe he's just better suited to be Robin to someone's Batman, just so long as that Batman is, you know, um, full of hugs and cuddles and not, <laughs> right, you know, Jimmy Butler, you know, demands and finger pointing and, you know, high expectations. So, so I think it's I think it's that feels like where this has to head is right or wrong whether that wins NBA games Daz will be will be remain to be seen and there's 
Again, no indication that these two can play defense at anything even remotely resembling league average. So that's always going to be a challenge, i.e. what Denver is going through. But this is who you have. So if you believe in the philosophy, make them the best versions of themselves, they might, not be, they might need to become a team who's you know, top six in offense and bottom six in defense. And maybe that's, maybe that's their ceiling. Yeah, well, a couple of final points I'd make. The first is I think Wiggins is going to be the chief O'Hara to someone's Batman. That's probably his his ceiling <laughs> at the end of the day. And I think with with Towns, the the problem I have with Towns is there's the, the there's no attention to detail and there's no effort on the defensive end. And I think Wiggins gets a lot more criticism, I think, on that end than what Towns does. And I think because people see the tools that Wiggins has and he should be a good defender. for all intents and purposes and he's not Uh, but the other thing I think there is an effort problem there for Towns and the final thing is I think with with Stackhouse he's a player's coach is all the all the thing, all the talk I've heard of him, and I think that's the sort of coach that they need. And I think that's the sort of, to your point, to try and get the best out of these guys, um, and allow them to to play and to flourish in the best environment, which hasn't kept been the case um, so far with Tom Thibodeau. So we'll see. Well, just sorry, just one last point on that. I'm I'm not sure, right? I, I think it's a fair point on. Uh, it's easy, I think, to criticize and to call out effort, right? And I think that's fair uh, when you're talking about the defensive end. But part of me goes, why would I want to do it under Tom Thibodeau? So part of me thinks it's just, again, culture and direction and my role perhaps plays a big factor in that. Because I look at the other, quote, effort stats and I go, he's played 82 games every single year, all three years, right? The guy plays big minutes in cat. I'm talking about Cat here, mm. 32, 37, and 35.6 minutes in his three seasons, so significant minutes, and he's just getting even more more efficient. His true shooting, I lie, wasn't 60. His true shooting was 64.5, which is bleeping ridiculous. So it is free, he's freakishly, freakishly skilled and efficient on the offensive end. So I go, all right, make him the best. You know, Dan Tony did it to Nash and to Chris Paul and Harden. Who's the coach that can do that to a seven-footer? Who can put him in the best possible situation and make that offense kind of hum through this freakishly skilled player, right? That's the – that's guess what I'm saying. So I don't know about effort or not. I go, imagine him – he's playing 36 minutes a night. Damn, that's – you know, just, just running up and down for 36 minutes is, you know – is a pretty big ask, but anyway. Yeah, well, I, I, they're about to have a culture reset. I think that's fair to say, and, and, and it's right. critical that they get the direction right because I, there's no question there's still potential there with Wiggins, and there's a heck of a lot of potential there with, with Carl Anthony Towns, and they need the next coach and, and the culture that that creates to get the best out of that. No, I don't think... I, I, I wouldn't go for an interim coach. I'd be looking for to see if you could get a coach now that's going to be a long-term hire. Now, if you can't do that, then you go down the interim route. But uh, I think Thibodeau really, um, the, the sooner the better to to be to have him out of the organisation. Um, Will he and, coach again? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think he's damaged goods now. Uh, and, and Stan Van Gundy said the same, not about Thibodeau, about himself. He said, look, I'm available to coach, but I'm, no one's calling. They're not interested. And I thought, well, they probably watched what happened in Detroit and thought, well, you know, um, that's not where we, we want to go as a franchise. So I think there's a bit of a view that they're yesterday's 
sort of men in, in some ways. Um, yeah. I think Stan Van Gundy, a little bit unfair. I would have given him another season there in, in Detroit. But Thibodeau, we, we spoke about this last week. He just didn't learn. He didn't learn from the lessons of Chicago. He came in and tried to do the same thing, and it just didn't work. And um, particularly on the, the, the defensive, like we thought that at the very least this was going to be a really good defensive team, and they were terrible both seasons um, that he was there. So, and he's not a good offensive coach, so you're like, well, what's he bringing to the table there? So, and it's probably hard to underestimate the impact that if you and I are rolling our eyes, going, what the heck are they doing bringing back Derrick Rose? How do you think it feels to be, right, um, Tyus Jones or Jeff Teague or Andrew Wiggins, right? So if you and I are rolling your eyes about, oh, my God, are you serious? And, and the wall dang, how, how do you not, right? You well, that's where I do it. feel for Wiggins. Okay. I mean, he was the guy that had to sacrifice last year in terms of his touches and things like that. And, the other, and, and they put the – Zach Lowe wrote an article – uh, I think it was well. I read it today. I'm not sure when he released it, but he was talking about Wiggins. Um, they tracked how many, how often he was sprinting down the court, and I think it was like 4.5% of his time on the court he was sprinting, <laughs> <laughs> which was one of the lowest percentiles in the league, and it was sort of reserved. It wasn't hard. Plodding it wasn't seven hard footers. to see. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he, the effort sort of went out the window for him on both ends. He was, but, you know, when you ask a guy to just stand out in the corner that a guy that likes to have the ball in his hands, what do you expect um, is going to happen? So. That being said, he's been, you know, I mean, in the more, I guess, more um, arcane, not arcane, but sort of opaque, you know, measures and sort of things like, you know, VORP, you know, value of a replacement player and box plus minus and those sorts of things. Wiggins has consistently over his career been worse than league averaged as. So true, true last year is, you know, his um, raw stats went down, his attempts went down, right? His effort went down, his free throw shooting fell off an absolute cliff. He shot 64% from the mm-hmm. line yep. last year after three years at 76. It just absolutely plummeted. His attempts went way down. Just He just was a shell of himself. But that being said, it wasn't exactly like he was, you know, um, you know, super efficient in three previous years. So massive, massive year for Wiggins, whether it's with or without Butler looking like without Butler and guys with something that, especially with a new coach, are going to have, um, you know, we talked it, we talked a bit about some guys with chips on their shoulder and or something to prove with DeMar DeRozan. They had these two guys, they, they, they race towards the top of that list from the NBA next year with guys who better put up or shut up are these two guys. Yeah. So, um, well, it's funny. We've, well, I think we've hardly spent a week without talking about the Wolves in some way since we started these pods. It's interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. I remember right back to episode one, if you remember back that far, that the first time we spoke about it that night. Um, and not, not much as, and I, and I think we've got the same questions here at episode 61 that we had in episode one. So hopefully we'll at least get some answers. Um, one answer, one question answered, I guess, is Tom Dibbidow is not the man to get the best out of them. No. So we'll see. No. If the next coach. So what we're going to do, Daz, is I'm going to just sort of put some propositions out there to you now. Um, and I know you like to be propositioned, but it's not that, that sort of a scenario at the moment. I'm, I'm just going to say, say some things that are potentially going to happen over this season or in the next couple of seasons. And then you give your take whether you think that's likely or how likely you think that scenario will be. And I'm going to start with uh, Anthony Davis because Anthony Davis has announced that... Um, he saw him with clutch sports. So the statement I'm going to make about Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, next team, within the next two years, he's going to be on the Los Angeles Lakers. 
what what's you shocked by that likely unlikely where do you sort of put think that scenario sits so the probability ad is on the lakers whilst lebron is there effectively that's what yes. you're saying yeah yes. look before he signed with clutch i would have said you know five percent you know what give him a shot you know five to ten percent but now that he's with clutch which has what it's not a huge agency right this is a tight tight group it's about a dozen guys maybe 20 so it's not a super huge group and we know how we know how they like to take care of each other i would say it's got to be now double it i'd say 20 percent or something in that neighborhood where i still don't see how um i, I would still have to get my head wrapped around um it, how poorly the the pelicans sort of you know, stitch their organization together the next couple of years. I still put their, they probably hit their ceiling is my feeling. I think last year was a, especially that playoff run was a spectacular run. It's hard to imagine them, right? That any version of the Pelicans doing, you know, doing anything beyond, you know, going to the second round of the playoffs. So if we buy into the fact that winning is most important and um, I just don't know, because uh, let me take a step back. So I, th- Irrespective of what happens to the Pels, if he's going to the Lakers, what probably means, right, he's going in free agency is probably what that means, right? And I just got to go, wouldn't the Pels, you know, more likely if they start to get rumblings from AD, have a gigantic auction, in which case the Lakers are going to put them as very unlikely, you know, to land AD given the fact that, you know, teams like, you know, Boston and Philadelphia in particular probably you know, rife and rich with assets and far greater um, supply to land a guy like AD than, than the Lakers. But um, so that's kind of my thinking is if it got to the point where um, he was going to get traded, I think the Lakers are less likely a chance if he's a free agent that we got two more full seasons before he's a free agent. And I just can't imagine the Pels let that happen where he comes, he becomes a free agent and he does a, and they get nothing for it. I, well, what if he comes I, out and just says, "I only when I when I'm a free agent, I'm leaving New Orleans, and I'm only signing with the Lakers." Yeah, I just think he's too. He's a bit. He right, doesn't you know seem his personality. to be that personality, does he? Yeah, he doesn't seem that style, does but he? But sometimes you quiet. can work back channels. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's not that sort of personality either. Yeah, again, no, no data tells us that he's an asshole, right? And he's not the recluse like. No, really, you know, it's he's not yeah. the recluse the reclusive as he is as Kawhi was. But um, yeah, look, I, I probably also, so I'll say 20%. I think that's probably doubled the chances since, since signing with clutch. I still think that's a, that's a pretty high number to be fair. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, and I see it's the other headline is magic. Uh, magic got LeBron James and now the hard work begins. Right. So it's kind of like, I probably don't underestimate, you know, the motivation of, of magic to stay relevant and make an impact in, in star chase. And so I guess I leave open the possibility that, you know, could you do a, a Brandon Ingram, Lonzo ball, um, you know, plus a pick sort of trade for AD, I guess you could empty the cupboards, but um, that's because well, that's what it would take. I've said all along, I think this year is a, is an audition year in the Lakers. And I think the yeah, is sure. going to be saying, okay. And really around the league as well. Who who's good enough to play on this team? 
with yeah, Manny. Yeah. Um, let's let's move to LeBron. I've got a question about LeBron. So, how shocked would you be if I said LeBron plays eighty-two games uh, next season? Oh, zero. I'm not even saying what is a zero percent. <laughs> it is zero. What's the over under? Do you think? I mean, is it, is it seventy games? What? <gasps> yeah. Look. If I put the over under at sixty nine and a half, betting man, where are you going? Over under. I probably would say over on sixty nine and a half. I think he's going to take it. I think he's more likely to do the, um, you know, play, uh, uh, play three quarters, right? You know, in the games where they're up big or down big. I also think he's going to just not have that. He's just going to dial everything back. Is my feeling. I, the minutes are going to be down. I think the games are going to be down, and the effort's going to be well, the defensive it, effort is going to get even lower. Yeah. Well, the interesting That's thing is going to be this, this is there's going to be shades of Jordan in Washington. I don't mean that by his level of play. I mean when Jordan was in Washington, he wanted to play slow, and he was like, "I want to pound the ball. Let's slow it down. Let's play in the half court." Well, that's what LeBron's going to want to do. LeBron's not going to want to run. LeBron has never not played a fast pace, um, particularly the last few years in Cleveland. They've been a slow-paced team. They want to play in the half court. This is a Lakers team that's built to run, uh, particularly with the young guys. I think there's going to be a bit of a push and a pull there about what style are they going to... And I think Luke Walton wants to run. So there's going to be a bit of push and pull about what style they want to play... And that's going to, I think, make some decisions for them as well, potentially, about the type of player that they bring in. That's one of the fascinating things about this Lakers team. I'm not that fascinated about their win-loss total. I'm fascinated by how how they play, how LeBron approaches the season, and the effect that his presence has on some of the young players on that roster. Yeah, and I think that's part of the, I think it's all fair, but in terms of the over-unders and the effort, I think it'll be – he probably pegged it right at about 70. He's going to take a bunch of nights off. And I go, I think LeBron's going to want to take a dozen games to sit there and watch and see mm. how um, – when when posed with the chance of being the alpha and the facilitator and the creators, what what can Ingram in particular do when LeBron's not on the court? He, he probably wants to sit and observe it. He wants to see when you know Lonzo's got to have the ball in his hands for 40 minutes a night what that's like. And he can probably learn some things, right? By sitting and observing the team a bit that way. So I think 70, 70 feels about like the right number. And I think we'll see a tick down from, you know, um, believe it or not, he was down on minutes last year. He played 38, 37.8 minutes a night in 16, 17. It was down to 37, <clears throat> 37 minutes last year, albeit in 82 games. Nice. So what do you think that ticks down to? Th- I know 35, you know, 34, he's just not a guy who's going to dial it back to 30. Right? No, it's just hard no. to imagine him. Yeah, you'd... I'd take the under on the 70, to be honest. And I, I think you it reckon? could be a fair way under. I've, I've got a feeling he's he's going to, if there's any nicks and, and um, sort of worries about injuries that he might have and maybe some minor surgeries, but thing you've been having, I think he might just say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And yeah, maybe. Also maybe. Let, let the chips fall where they may. If we end up with a decent draft, we can miss the playoffs altogether. Who cares? This is not about this season. Uh, it's really about the following season. But having said that, the guy is 33 going on to 34, so that the clock's ticking on when his career is going to end too. So I'm not sure yeah. if he's re- willing to completely pun away a season either. Um, but And I also hold out the, the slight hope that he might just go balls out from game one and say, I want to win MVP this year. So I don't, I think anything's within the realm of possibility. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, 
That's right. To what? Because he could just say, "I'm just going to lay waste. I'm sick of hearing about how much greater the West is. I'm just going to lay waste to the Western Conference and win the MVP, and then say, "Fucking suck on that." So, you know, he's really that is, sort of mentality yeah. could do it. It's hard to fathom. I'm just scrolling through, and he's played, he's played more than ten thousand minutes just in the playoffs, Daz. Well, that's what Bill that, Simmons has said. He said that's like another two seasons on top of that's whatever like, he's that's already That's like three, three plus seasons. Yeah. So even his heaviest, heaviest years when he was playing 30 minutes a night, or sorry, 40 minutes a night, he was getting 3,000 minutes a season. So literally three and a half seasons extra just yeah, in the playoffs, and okay. in the grind of the playoffs. So he's he's already defied He's already defied all laws of well, human never been physiology. Injured. Never been injured once in his entire Why did he play? Oh, was that the lockout? A a significant injury. Yeah, that was a lockout year. No. Did he ever twist an ankle? He he went to Miami for two weeks when his first season in Cleveland, but that wasn't injury related. That was just, he was a bit sick of the roster, I think, and so you guys sorted out, well, I'm not here for a few weeks. And, uh, That's right, he took a better. in-season holiday, didn't he? He basically <laughs> did. He said he had a foot injury or something, but there was no, there yeah, was no issues there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, he pulled a Derek Rose at you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so next next statement, uh, Chris Middleton is an All NBA player at the end of the season, part of the All NBA squads. What's the what's the percentage chance, or what likely, unlikely? Would you be surprised by that one? Oh, highly unlikely, right? So I mean. You're talking all NBA. That top, that's top fifteen, right? I mean, that would need to be. He'd need to do something that would be up completely out of character, which I guess is theoretically possible if he, like, literally doubled his three point volume. I guess and became a twenty five point a game scorer. You know, the, the comparison for the last three years in Sports Illustrated has been him and Demar Derozan, right? The famous, the famous debate. It seems well, like that's every where I come year. at it from because yeah. Demar was a, an all NBA level player. Um, did he get all NBA in the end? I know he was a lot of people voted for. Him. I think he got third team. He, last he year, did get third team. So that's yeah. and that and I saw and the reason I ask it is I saw some of the top one hundreds and a number of people had Middleton ahead of DeRozan and I thought that was a bit a bit premature. Well, he made the top thirty. He did number twenty eight this year. I mean, people were screaming. I mean, people, uh, Twitter Twitter dorks and idiots, you know, who like to argue about arbitrary things like this. When Middleton was ranked, I think thirty. 35 last year and DeRozan was 36 or 32 and 34 or something like that. They were right, you know, in the top 30. Now Middleton's moved up to number 28. I think probably partly buoyed by that ridiculous seven game series he had against Boston. But, but, but both Gulliver and Sharp have just loved him for years. I just think he's, you know, both on a great contract and just underrated. But that being said, Middleton, a top 15 player, 10%, well, 8% chance. Yeah. I just, I think the Bucks have so many things to, to bloody figure out. Um, to be honest, I actually think you're more, more likely to see a you know, med- you know, meteoric rises from from the lesser players on the Bucks, which I hinted at last year, from the Snells and Sterling Browns and Brogdons, and I think we will have Middleton. I think Middleton is who he is. Um, so interesting well, question. It's difficult at, I, at guard as yeah. well. I mean, that's the, the, that's absolutely stacked, isn't it? Um, I agree well, look, with you. I, I, think... I, I literally think it takes him, he'd have to be scoring 25 points a game, which basically he'd have to literally double his three point attempts and, you know, make one and a half more three pointers a game would get him that five points a game, do all things else the same. He loves and lives and he's elite. Right? Literally he's behind only Kevin Durant 
in the mid-range. Well, so he doesn't he shoot a high volume of threes. That's, it, that's, that's the one thing. So that can that's go That's exactly right. That can that's go the up. theory. That's the, that's the optimist theory, both in, I guess, the SI guys and in some Bucks nerddom who look at, you know, Bazemore in particular as a bit of the archetype for what Buds can do for a 3 and D sort of player. And, you know, Jason Kidd famously just, you know, loved the post-up and the ISO game and, you know, drive and dish and um, just didn't run any sort of sets, didn't have horizontal ball movement, not a lot of pin downs, just not a lot of things that spring open, you know, their best shooters. And so that's the theory, I guess, is to see that spike. But I think top 15 is a stretch. If you said all-star, I think that's maybe a new... That probably changed Well, he was my, borderline uh, all-star last year, so I thought all NBA. But as I said, the reason I did it was I saw him ranked ahead of DeRozan, and I thought, you know what, I think DeRozan's a better chance to be back in all NBA than for a second time than uh, Middleton is for a first yeah, time. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, next one. So Golden State or Houston, neither of those teams are the number one seed at the end of the regular season in the West. Oh, boy. Someone else gets the number one seed? Yes. Oh, boy. Um, well, the question I, have, I first go is who who would that be? And I think the I'm probably a little bit higher on Oklahoma City than, than you are. I think you're probably higher on Utah. I think it's kind of the conventional wisdom mm. who's the 3-4. The mm. So, geez, it would take injuries. On, it literally would take injuries on both teams. I'm not um, convinced. I mean, I think you can you can pencil oh, in the Chris right, the Paul coasting. missing 10, 10 right. 20 times. I mean, I'll tell you this. I've heard a lot. I'm, I'm hearing this, these sort of season previews at the moment, and a lot of the beat writers do these season previews on the podcast. And every single one I hear from the Golden State, they're just down on this team. They think they're going to struggle in, in comparison to what they've done in years past. This season's going to be a real grind for them. That, that seems to be the the sort of logic coming out of that. And that's why the... the well, they're tired. That's it, right? They're, they're tired. tired. The, and that's why the first... cousin signing is so good because it gives them a bit of a lift and something to look forward yeah. to and something to plan. The first for. 65 games kind of don't matter. They need, what, a month, three weeks to kind of get their mojo back in March. Mm. Right, so yeah, so that's... Yeah, look, that's fair. They'll be coasting and resting and laughing and giggling and whatever. Well, they weren't... But they weren't last year. That's why I kind of go... I'm not totally buying into that. Well, they had to in the sense last year because Steph got injured. KD had a period where he was injured. Um, But, you know, Draymond Green's not the player that he was either. He's he's fallen away the last couple of years. He was in the playoffs, though. He was. But last year was felt, by by comparison, it felt not joyless in the way that it felt (laughs) to play in Toronto or in in Detroit. But it it was work. Right, they got they. It felt like work last year, because Kevin Durant was an asshole, and him and Draymond were bickering, and then Steph got injured, and it felt like it was actually quite hard. Right, it was hard. It was, it was a grind. A That's right. It was a total grind. So I just can't imagine this year being worse than last year. I just can't. I think they'll play the they'll play the bench more. Um, well, that's not going to end well though if they play the bench more. Yeah, well, I guess your question was, what are the probabilities of someone else getting the one seat other than Houston and Golden State? And I also think Houston's quite motivated to do it, right? Because I think the conventional wisdom is that they're still going to be, you know, elite, elite on offense and good enough on defense to be a, a pain in the neck. And they were, 
you know, 49 minutes of a hamstring away from probably, you know, taking them down. And they had a 12 point lead at halftime in game seven Mm. that they couldn't hold. So they were as as close as you could come. And I think home court means something to Houston as well. So I, I'm going to say this is also a low probability, like, again, sort of a 10% chance, and my money would be on OKC ahead of Utah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I had the same terms pegged because I think the thing with OKC and Utah, they're not going to take nights off. They're going to just bring it every single night, whereas I'm not convinced the other two are. Now, the other yeah. two are just naturally better, so they're going to win games even when they don't bring it. But yeah. Uh, the, I think it's going to be a great equalizer. I think it's going to be uh, this race for the. And, and the other thing is, if it becomes a race in the last 10, 15 games, Golden State and Houston don't give a shit. They don't. The, the no. home, home court doesn't matter to them as much as it matters to OKC and Utah. Well, would you agree with my assertion, though, that it matters to Houston, though? It matters I to think... Houston over Golden State. It doesn't matter to Houston over Utah or OKC. So yeah, all, Utah, Houston are only going to be looking at Golden State in the standings and going, we just need to finish ahead of them. We don't yeah, really probably. care about whether we have to go to Utah or go to OKC um, or San Antonio or wherever the, 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 the scenario may be um, yeah. You know, in, in, when it comes to the playoffs. And I think Houston are going to start slow. I've, I've said this a few times. I think uh, Chris Paul will miss his time. He normally misses. You know, he doesn't sort of play through injuries, which is fair enough at this point in his career. And I've got a sneaking suspicion James Harden's not going to come back in the greatest of shape, given the fact that he finally won the MVP, which he's been chasing for a number of years. So, um, and just a sneaky player to watch out for. I think Dante Exum is going to have a big year in uh, in Utah as well, Daz. He could. Um, yeah, the, yeah. He showed some really nice signs in the playoffs. I'm, I'm hoping we see a bit more on the offensive end from him because he's shown what he can do on defense. So I'm excited about, about Utah. And, I, and I, as I said, I, I think uh, OK serve a chance. I'd put it a bit higher percentage than you. I still think it's unlikely, but I think it's more around the, the 15 to 20% chance um, simply because I think if those teams can keep that close, I think down the stretch it's going to mean more to them and Golden State might be happy to blow a game you know, in, in Denver or something uh, on a back-to-back whereas these other teams yeah, might true. play a bit harder through that. Um, the next one, how surprised would you be if the Cleveland Cavaliers made the playoffs in the East? See, no, I'm I'm the rare I think I'm the, the lone voice looking at, again, just how rubbish the bottom of the East is and going yeah, give me um, give me a Kevin Love team with a. Will we finally get a motivated to keep his mouth shut, head straight, um, get paid or die year from from Rodney Hood from a super motivated um, Sexton who you know wants to, you know probably wants to become the alpha on that team and probably will be, uh, maybe J.R. Smith you know wants to wipe away the embarrassment, um, you know of his career as Tristan Thompson have a little more freedom now to play. So I kind of go, well, he's still got in, in the East. That's a quite a com- competitive roster. I really truly believe it. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they beat out what Miami, Miami has an injury or white side implodes, right? Or uh, who, who else we got pegged for the bottom of well, the playoffs? Well, we got Miami, Detroit, Detroit Charlotte, you know, Charlotte uh, who knows, Chicago could be sniffing now, around that eight soon. I, I'm actually, um, I favor them to be in the playoffs. I, I would have to admit, I have to do my quick math, but definitely I have them in as a default. Well, he's, right? All right, so, he's my hot take. I think they're the second worst team in the Eastern Conference and maybe what? in the entire NBA. No. 
I think. Come on. Well, Kevin Love's going to get injured. Well, how many? What's the over under on Kevin Love's games this year? I wouldn't take it above forty two. Sixty six. Oh, there's no what? way Kevin Love's going to play sixty six games. No way. Really? This guy's been injured. He's got bad back. Right, he's had uh, shoulder problems. He's had hand problems. Um, I, I don't know the, the knees are probably given mm. the, where he's at in his career. I doubt they're one hundred percent healthy either. And look, look at the history, Daz. This team now. I know LeBron played eighty-two games last year, so we don't have any data to go off there. But go back, even when this team had Kyrie Irving, they were horrendous when LeBron was not there. Now LeBron leaves, and all of a sudden they're going to be a playoff team. There's no way. Well, they're going to lose right? at least 10 more games. Again, this is all about, again, this is just, it's a function of the the rubbish that is, you I know, think they'll struggle the to get the, the 30 East. wins. They will struggle to get the 30 wins. What's their, what's the Vegas over-under? Let's see, Cleveland's over-under is, what, is 31? 30 and a half? <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I'm hitting the does. over hard. I'm I'm in, well, I, I think that's about right. I think they've got it about right. I think they're going to struggle to get the thirty wins. What am I missing? Am I am I, am I blind? Well, you miss. Look, their 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 best player, Kevin Love. No question about that. Is you know, as I say, if if you got forty two games out of him, that's probably what you're going to be expecting, given the recent history. Okay, if you got sixty six out of him, they'll be dancing a jig. And then if you got sixty six out of him, this is a guy that's never shown he can be the best player on a playoff team. Even in his prime at Minnesota, they were they never got to even five hundred mm. with him and Rubio. So and that, that Minnesota roster was better than the one they're putting together put together in Cleveland. This mm. sort of flotsam and jetsam that they've got. I mean they don't even have Jeff Green anymore, for goodness sakes. Well, they have white green, white Jeff Green, Sam Decker. <laughs> I do. He's a, he's a dipshit. No, this Larry, is a bad team, Daz. This Larry is a Nance, bad team. And they're expecting George Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton's a rookie. Let's not get uh, let's not get carried away over what the rookie class did last year. This rookie class, we're not going to see as much out of, I don't think, as we saw out of last year. So if you're expecting too much out of Colin Sexton, I think you're, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. And they still have like, George Hill. They, they get rid of. So him. still got George Hill. So George Hill will start the season, and then oh, obviously once they're ready, the punter. Okay, maybe my, maybe my optimism is, is should be waning here. Well, when, look, when yeah. Kevin Love, honestly, if Kevin Love sits, they're, they're, that's a loss. That's a loss unless they're playing the Kings or the Hawks, right? That's going to be a loss. Uh, and when well, Kevin to your Love's point, there, though, can't, can't Channing Fry do seventy percent of what <laughs> Kevin Love does? Really, what Kevin Love's been asked to do? I don't know. Well, this is thought, a weird. Well, it's a weird team. It is a bit. It's depressing. It's honestly when I, I mean, who re- who really wants to see Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, and Kyle Korver and Chatting Fry and Jordan? Well, Korver's an interesting trade candidate, and he could even end up on your backs, given the who? Bud's history. Korver. Who? Oh, yeah. No, he's done. He's done. So, uh, he's, look, I still finished. think you could play spot minutes and and come on and hit a few threes. And. Um, I'd rather have Steve Novak take his tie off and, <laughs> and try and, and spot him. I'm not saying you're going to give up anything of note for no, him, but um, no. DJ Wilson. All right, okay, so maybe I'm, going to, I'm having a harder look. I 51% chance. I was I started the conversation going definitely 60%, 60%, 70%, but now you're right. I've had a, I've just paused for a moment and oh, thinking about just all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
Jurassic well, Park I guess we'll find that if, we'll finally find out if Ty Lue can coach. I guess because if, and I'm not suggesting that if they have a bad year he can't coach, but if if he gets them sniffing the playoffs with this with this roster, then we've all got to say, okay, the guy can coach, well, no question about it. So, in all seriousness, I think this team is going to have a feel about them similar to say last year's Lakers, which is they're not playing for much but it's also not going to be a misery festival, right? I think these players are going to be pretty – let's get, think about what Kyrie went through. To not have the pressure of LeBron, to not have the pressure of winning the finals, to you know um, just go out and play basketball. Uh, Ty Lue is a pretty good guy, pretty decent coach. I genuinely think it's actually going to be – it's not going to be a misery fest. As, as bizarre as this team is, right, the, the veterans have been around a long time. And they know how to coast, right? They know how to take things off. And I think they're going to have no, there's going to be no egos on this team, right? J.R. Smith would be happy playing 55 games, right? George Hill would be happy playing 55 games. Kevin Love is probably going to only play 55 games. You know, Nance is a high energy guy who wants to try hard. Hood wants to get paid, right? I sort of go, yep, not the most talented group by any stretch. But I actually think it's not going to be a misery fest. So if you're a Cleveland fan, uh, you know, yes, you're probably going to watch yourself a 36-win sort of team, but it actually might be pleasant. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Oh, I agree be on a, that. I don't think they're going to be a terrible team. A tr- like a, a Sacramento train wreck or, a, you know, Atlanta, Orlando, you know, full-body dry heave set the music where you can't imagine this doesn't even look like a professional squad on some nights. So that's maybe where I'm coming from is a. I, I use this in italics. They have a pretty high floor, right? Like their floor isn't like, you know, if things go bad in Orlando or Sacramento kind of floor, right? This team's going to win 30 because oh, it's enough of a mix of bets. I disagree. If, if Kevin no? Love okay. goes down in game one, they they might not yeah. win 15 games. No. No. Yeah, you know. I mean, and that's the thing about Atlanta. 51% chance at an eight seed. I'm, I'm just, it's a well, tallest dwarf. So even Atlanta, midget. as bad as they are, there's not one player you'd say if they go down, they're probably going to go, well, who cares? The whole roster's terrible. But Cleveland, they're relying heavily on, on Kevin Love for whatever wins you're going to give them. I just think, I don't think they are. I, I think, I think he's, they're going to pencil in for 17 and 10, 30 minutes a night. That's what I'm saying. There's enough. You know, this team is... Well, he'll put up better numbers than that, They're like the, they're that, they're Clippers surely. East. They're Clippers East. Oh, right? they're, no. Yeah, they're no. 11... They're 11 genuine NBA players deep. None of them are any good, Daz. Don't get me... Don't mistake me here, right? It's all about just compare them to the Knicks or the Nets or the Hornets or the Magic or the... Right? It's just literally by its tallest dwarf stuff. Mm, so well. I'm talking myself in the tallest. Way. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, but you, I like I like the line of inquiry. <laughs> well, let's stay in the East. What about Jabari Parker? Is the top scorer on the Chicago Bulls next year? What's the uh, What's the chances there? Would you be Holy surprised? Crap! They don't have enough basketballs to go around in Chicago. It's right? an interesting so. question, though, isn't it? Because you look at that roster and it's like, well, Levine, Markinen, Chris Dunn's a score first point guard. Um, you know, Carter Jr., they're going to look, be looking to get the ball. He looked good in summer league. Like, who is going to be the top scorer on this team? Well, just by... Um, they're all going to be jacking it up. Just by process of elimination, I'm going to remove um, Ashik from consideration because <laughs> he's out He's out with arthritis now. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, he's been sitting on the bench for so long. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, he's got Poor shingles. Guy. 
<laughs> Ricketts. <laughs> Christ. Uh, don't give me the giggles here on episode 61. <laughs> yeah, always, always got his homage about her. Right? Goes, you should see the photo of Ashik on ESPN. That is just, okay, if everyone who's all 11 of you listening to this episode, go to the ESPN Chicago Bulls homepage and look at the photo they have of Ashik in the headline. Ashik out indefinitely with arthritis. <laughs> There's an ESPN intern taking the fucking piss with that photo. <laughs> that is absolute gold. So, um, right, Chicago Bulls leading scorer. Um, it's hard to bet against um, Markkinen, isn't it? He sh- he'd like him to be the leading scorer. Um, he was 15 points a game last year. Yeah, I think he'd, he'd take a tick up. Um, but he's the guy Wendell, that needs someone to get him the ball. That's that's the thing. And who's does. getting him the ball? He does. I just the question is, will Jabari even start? Like we don't even know who their their starting lineup is, right? Um, so I'll tell I'm you what Jabari's say, not going to do, Daz. He's not going to pass the ball. No, or play defense. He doesn't get paid to play defense. <laughs> that's right. He literally said that out loud. My God. No, I, I think um, a healthy Levine is. I'll be honest. Okay, I think a healthy Levine, like like good legs, seventy some games of Levine, that's your leading scorer. Um, and I think Markkinen's probably going to be a close second. And so Jabbar, I think, is going to. I think he's going to be by default either the the third option on offense, um, or a bench kind of um, you know high volume scorer. So he could lead the team in scoring. 25 nights of the year mm. they'll probably finish the season as third is maybe the other way to look at it so there'll be there'll be 20 or 30 games where he scores and you know, leads the team in scoring on a particular night but uh, i think a healthy zach is not what i'm thinking about it probably number one so um but it could be this could be a um this could be an interesting league pass team. That's now. what I was going to say. This could be a sneaky good league pass team, I think. Yeah, it could be. Because I just going to gun it all, every night. Yeah, the highlights of, of Wendell Carter Jr. and this the, the overabundance of joy heading his way from, from Summer League. Um, Justin Holiday is a nice blue sort of player, right? Well, even Porter's um, had a good year last year after he, he came back from the suspension. Portis, you mean? Yeah, Bobby Portis. Yeah, Portis is a Portis is an NBA player, for sure. Denzel Valentine can spot up three, so um, you know Robin Lopez can still you know competently defend. You know when you have to throw out against Drummond and Embiid and and Dwight and the rest of it, you can be you know competent. So that's an interesting team. So yeah, uh, so no to Jabari being their leading scorer. I think that's a v- very low probability. Um, again, I all the answers seem to be in about the ten percent range, but I'd say probably a little bit higher. I'd say twenty percent chance. But my money's on on the other two. What about you? Do you think he's? What do you, what do you uh, see in Jabari? I, look, I think with Jabari, I think he'll start. I think he'll start, and I I just worry. Levine didn't play all that well when he came back last year either. So I, no, I just, he didn't. I think it's going to come down to who are they going to feature. On, on offense, and I think Markin is going to get his in the sort of flow of the game when when they sort of find him. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that they're going to look to be the the leader just yet in terms of the offense. And I think you might find they'll be looking to Jabari and say, "Let's see what we've got with this guy." Um, and it might yeah, even maybe. you might even see Levine be the guy to go to the bench. That's not a because Holiday maybe. done Holiday Jabari. 
um, Markinen and, and Lopez sort of starting the game and then Carter Jr. and um, and Levine coming off the part of the bench unit with Portis? I guess you could see it going one of two ways, which is that we've got him on this one-year $20 million deal. Maybe you give him the, you know, it's the, the Le'Veon Bell treatment, which is ride this, this horse and feed him to see, you know, what the optimized Jabari Parker could be. So what would Jabari Parker on a, you know, four-year 80, you know, four-year 100 sort of $100 million contract, if you're going to think about re-signing him, you probably want to see him in a high-usage role which is what he fashions himself as. So you could see that. Or does it go down the path of, you know, he's on an expiring, he's Nerland's Noel, he's not part of the long-term future the way Zach and Market and are, and we're going to, you know, just give him enough of a uh, enough of a chance to keep him from being a locker room distraction but not really invest in him because we don't believe in his health and He's not signed long-term, and we're not sure we'd want to sign him long-term, and we didn't trade anything to get him. He's just a free agent who slotted in, so maybe we'll just kind of try and keep him happy and and see what happens in the offseason. So I, I could see also either of those situations kind of playing out. So it all leads up to me just a lot of a lot of variability around him being the, the top dog. Yeah, I think with him and, and Levine, one of them is going to be the bench spark plug and one of them is going to be the the go-to guy in the starting unit offensively and i think that's going to be interesting to see how yeah, that plays yeah. out um that plays itself out all right there's last one last question i'll ask you one that might be a bit more likely what what are the, what's the likelihood of Kawhi Leonard playing in san antonio this season wow it's a it's a january game february january second i think it is january second january second jeez Right, so January 2nd, dog days of winter. Um, the teams have kind of found out who they are by that point. Um, the Look, I think what could happen, right, is I'll try to get give a serious answer. Well, my instinct was a month ago, right, he's, he's just as likely to get, you know, pelted with Duracell batteries the way Philadelphia fans treat, you know, treat opposing NFL players. I think it's going to be really, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't... When, I, when it first happened, I was like you. I thought it was going to be really negative. I'm not 100 percent sure it will be now. Well, but you again, you tell me about San Antonio. As we we had we spent last week, I certainly spent a lot of time thinking about Pop and what that team could be like. And you know, no Manu, no Pau, no Pau, no, I'm sorry, no Manu, no no Tony, etc. And just how it's almost a brand new world for this team, a new new challenge for for Pop and. If you're the Spurs fans, right, you tell me differently. I go, I think you watch this team. If they, they sprint out and, and do Spurs things like we, we think they do and it comes January and they've got like a, I don't know, they're they're 20 and 8, right, and they're, you know, playing Spurs basketball and feeling good and feeling you know, filling the house and DeRozan's playing well and DeJunte's taking, you know, taking the next step and the bigs are in the rotations and, Bag of donuts is getting enough touches to not be a pain in the neck. I think there's going to be so much positivity around the team that might make them slightly less. Let's call it slightly less, slightly less acrimonious and hostile towards Kawhi. In which case, and maybe then that's the point where Popovich also has to go into, you know, uh, and say something publicly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, right. and that's exactly and what I was going to say. Appeal to the say. crowd, yeah. yeah, and go. He's part of the family. He won a championship. 
we're looking forward to looking forward to beating the Toronto's ass next week. But when Kawhi is back, I'm sure we'll have a word and a you know an, an embrace, and then we'll um, we'll try to win the basketball game. So I think if Pop does something, both if the team's playing well and Pop makes an acknowledgement about about Kawhi, I think that will diffuse the situation. But if they're a 500 squad and Kawhi's averaging 30 points a game in Toronto, um, you might see that less likely. Yeah, I think so, Pop holds the key. If Pop says, essentially says, we're not going to boo him, no one's going to boo him. If Pop comes out and says, this is just another game to us, we're not worried about that sort of stuff, they're going to they're unleash hell. <laughs> so, and that's that's really yeah, what it comes down yeah. to. And I think, obviously, the, the team records will play, play a factor. But let's say that, you know, Let's say the Spurs are the number one in the West by some miracle, and and Toronto are number one in the East. I don't think the Spurs are going to let put the positivity of their own season. I think it really does come down to Pop, and I think if they feel like Pop feel, felt betrayed by what happened last year, they're going to let him have it. If they feel like Pop's okay with it, I think they'll say, "Well, we can live with it as well." So that's how I think it'll play out. But I, well, I, and the, yeah, the other variable is that to what extent you know what 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 role does the Toronto coaching staff also have in the say, right? So I think that's the that's the other factor. Well, is, they'll be looking at, I guess, what his his mentality is and, and how he's that's right, and, and whether that's they right. say, you know, what we're gonna we're gonna protect you from from this sort of sort of stuff, or maybe they say, no, he's gonna be strong Look, enough to, to take it. We've on. seen it before, right? We saw you know Kyrie coming back to Cleveland, and it wasn't you know it wasn't nearly as bad as we thought, and. The same thing with Paul George. It wasn't nearly as bad as we thought because, again, Oladipo was so great. And so I think, you know, I think a little bit of time, you know, goes by and you do realize, look, it was easy for me to say it was only six years. It's not like, you know, it's not like David Robinson left after 10 years and the acrimonious sort of split, you know. Um, Time will show us, right, that that he was only there for six years, quote unquote. So we'll see. But it's a great question. I'd say at this point, I'd say it's a 60% chance likelihood that he would play. Mm. I think it's, I think it's likely the Spurs are good and Toronto is fine. It's not a second night of a back-to-back. So the Toronto's at home on the first. And so there'll be, you know, it's not a back-to-back situation. It's not a schedule rest or anything like that. So um, from a Toronto's perspective, so, um, yeah, sixty percent chance he's there. I think there's also a chance they have a big tribute to Danny Green and don't do anything for Kawhi. So I'll just I'll be interested to see how the Spurs organisation handles it as well. I guess that's interesting. Well, just go back that... when when they actually when they um, did the trade, they had this big long thing about Danny Green and what Danny Green meant to the organisation, and they basically sent out a tweet about Kawhi Leonard saying you played here for six years. <laughs> see you later. So, yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. Yep. So we'll, and we'll only, see. And only play, played yeah. really only played five with the literally kind of taken last year. Yeah, that's so, right. So, but look, time well, you, I just I was just doing the schedules glance. It looks like San Antonio is going to be in the midst of a nice long um, New Year's Eve homestand as well. So they've got Boston at home on New Year's Eve, and then they got three nights off, and they play Toronto at home on the third of January then they got another night off in Memphis at home on the 5th so they got literally a week off around New Year's so they're going to be in pretty good spirits I reckon so I think you might look for a you know again it's not a back-to-back night it's not a stressful mm-hmm. you know sort of part of the uh, of the schedule so that's a good point maybe look for a bit of a celebration there and no surprise it's a nationally televised game on TNT that night so 
Yeah, I think the only um, Spurs game that was nationally televised all year. So um, hopefully we got one a, more, yeah. another one with on TNT that that's been added as well against oh, OKC. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. All right, Des, we'll look, we might leave it there, mate. That was a good. That was a good discussion. We're going to start our uh, season previews um, next year. Obviously, a couple of teams that we touched on tonight. There won't be any need to go too much further into the Cavs, I wouldn't have thought, again um, next week. But we might look at the start, sort of getting our predictions out there about what uh, the playoffs scene is going to look like. I'm not sure how sort of much thought you've given to that yet. But uh, we might get started on that next week because we're not that far away from the start of the season. Daz, less than a month away now. Yeah, we're gonna. We've had you know media day. Some of the some of the teams have had their media sessions already, and camps will be opening. Camps will be opening in about often about a week. Yeah, about I October. think it's this week sometime. Yeah, yeah, this week sometime. So, uh, and the Australian teams are actually over there or heading over this week. So that those games will be taking place. Uh, I think this weekend, the US time. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah, let's we can we can really hash out who's the who's going to make the playoffs in the West and yeah, maybe get a little more scientific with the, um, who can actually compete with, who can compete with Cleveland for that last <laughs> spot and the right to get swept in the first round. Yes. Yeah. All right, mate. Good to talk to you again. We'll, we'll touch base again next week. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye.